eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Keely. You're joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We're back. We haven't had a live show of us three since prior to early signing day. So Woo! it's been a while. We have a lot to talk about. First off, USC's Holiday Bowl beatdown. They got beat by Iowa 49-24, to USC's worst bowl loss since the 1948 Rose Bowl. So not a good uh, chapter to or taste to end on for the end of the season, a bitter what, taste. 71 years or something, Keely? Is that it? It's, that's all? That's a long time. That's yeah. not that long ago. I no. mean, Ryan was like, 25. Yeah, I was, I was yeah. in college. You yeah, know. you remember that one, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also had to talk about it's a new chapter in USC football. USC uh, is moving on from defensive coordinator Clancy Pendergast and special teams coordinator and tight ends coach John Baxter. So there are now uh, openings at those coaching positions as well as Joe DeForest. Uh, NC State tweeted out that he's going to be their new safeties coach. No word from USC on that front, but yeah. I'm sure there are still things moving around. That, that's kind of normal, though. You don't usually announce when someone leaves to go somewhere else yeah so i didn't think that was the un, un uh anything out of the ordinary there necessarily okay i just didn't know if it was the the first domino of other defensive moves could so. be you never know so, yeah i mean it depends know. who gets hired as a defensive coordinator because you know if it's a powerful person, they might come in and go, okay, everybody's gone. I'm yeah. going to get my own people. Yeah, very true. So we'll talk about that. Uh, and Ryan put this third uh, bullet point in there. I did not, but he said, is Clay Helton safe? Uh, a lot of people have been asking, with this yeah. bowl loss, what does it mean for Clay Helton? Could something still change? And Ryan, do you want to take it away? Well, here's the thing. So we we have a pre-production meeting, and many hours go into whatever those little, uh, you know, today's topics are. Or I just do it in about five seconds. So that's what, <laughs> what did I think of? I mean, the first, second comment we have on periscope any chance that mike bone has the change of heart and fires helton so that's what we're getting a lot we got on the you know it's a talking point it's it a talking, talking point, point so i wanted to put it in there it's not like there's a lot of people asking like hey now that usc got smoked by iowa had the worst recruiting class in the country those all those things happened after mike bone said he was coming back could he have a change of heart so yeah. it's a topic so we'll talk about that for sure no. um <laughs> What's up? Shotgun? We don't think it's going to happen, but uh, yeah. We'll but I have been it, wrong though. about every like as, as far as is Helton going to be fired or not. I've not been right. I am not going to predict anything more. I'm not going to say anything is impossible. Now you're on Shotgun and I's side. You yeah. wanted us to get a prediction prior to the decision, yeah. and we were we we didn't yeah. want to. It, the logic logic doesn't c come into play in these situations. So no. yeah, yeah. Is it illogical to say he's coming back and then fire him a couple weeks later? Dan Weber had the point on our emergency Peristyle podcast. Make sure you guys check it out. Yeah. That Mike Bone only said that he would coach in 2020. So 
if he coaches like January 1st, 2020, does that count? And then you could fire him on January 2nd. You so. can do whatever you want. Yeah. That's Technically, he has not coached anything then. Well, he's still the head coach. I mean, he's, he, was, yeah. he had the job for that. So he didn't coach, though. So yeah. if we're talking semantics, let's be correct about them, Ryan. Well, do, do you have to coach an actual crazy, game? Right? People have been hired, and they're the coach, but maybe they're not coaching a game. They're recruiting. It's during a recruiting period. Like, then he's a recruiter. He hasn't coached. He's recruited. Right. Okay, anyway, gentlemen, <laughs> as a reminder, you guys can't can... even get out of the introduction. Here. I know, right? You can call us at 512-4-TUNNEL. Uh, we're screening your calls. We already have two callers in the queue, so thank you for Dang. that. Uh, and then you can also tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision. I'll put your tweet up on the screen. Um, and then wherever you are, uh, if you're on Facebook, Periscope, or YouTube, put your comments, questions, concerns, and like always, we will answer them. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. But let's go in chronicle chronological order guys first mm-hmm. off the holiday bowl a loss it was an embarrassing performance uh, by usc but it also kind of worked out in the sense that if you wanted to get rid of john baxter and clancy pendergast those were the two main areas that struggled against that uh, iowa team so in that sense it kind of was a, a, a groundwork for making those moves yeah you look at iowa you don't look at you don't say hey man that's an explosive offense they're like 99th in the country in scoring offense coming into this one you know, they score 24 points a game, something like that. They're just Their defense only gives up 13. They just kind of control the ball, and maybe they get a six-minute drive, and they punt it away and pin you deep and don't let you do anything. It's just that's the way they kind of grind things out. Iowa scored touchdowns on their first five drives. So, <laughs> excuse me, it's sort of like you have your cake and you're eating it too. They had these long drives that they ran off all this clock, Oh, and, by, and at the end, they didn't have to punt or kick a field goal. They actually scored a touchdown. And USC had one possession in the first quarter. So this was, you looked at one side, a team that was very well coached. They knew what they could exploit as far as their offense would go. You look at USC's defense. Hey, what do they stink at? Like misdirection stuff, uh, you know, reverses wide, you know, running the ball wide. Yeah, let's do all those things. And they did, and they worked really well. And USC's offense was was pretty good pretty good but you knew just a mistake here a mistake there and you weren't going to be able to to keep up so it's it was kind of a typical performance this is a a team that usc is certainly more talented than um but one team was you know well better you know way better prepared they looked like they actually tackled in practice which dan saw dan i think you guys were there at practice and saw them actually talking tackling to the ground something that usc hasn't done since fall camp um so yeah i mean i think that's the way did you think they were going to beat USC down by 25 points or whatever. Didn't think that was going to happen. But, um, yeah, it was uh, sort of a microcosm of what happens when USC plays a decent team. And this was a decent team that had a bunch of time to prepare. And they just looked way better than USC did. It was basically just the same stuff that has bothered them the entire season. And it all culminated in this game. You know, things that have been issues in different areas and different games seem like they were all an issue in this game. Yeah. You know, starting with the defense, not being able to get off the field on third down. Now, what they really wanted to do against Iowa was get them in third long situations. They did that a few times. You know, with the second half, uh, the the first, I think it was the first drive or maybe the drive after the, the you know, the muff punt and after Keaton Slovis, you got a chance to get the ball back. Yeah. Maybe even before Slovis gets injured. I can't remember exactly where the time it was, but two third and longs to start the drive. You, you set them back inside, I think, around the 10, 15-yard line, third and nine, and then a third and 11. Both times they're able to get man-to-man coverage against Talano Hufunga, who's a really good cover safety, but you know just nice plays by them. Because they 
USC was in man coverage a lot, trying to get pressure. They never got pressure. That was yeah. the biggest thing in this game to me. Nate Stanley, you saw when they started a little bit in the second half, he was 11 of 12 in the first half. You know, that's you know phenomenal yeah. numbers because they never got to him. He's like a 58% passer. Do you remember the <laughs> name? Do you hear remember hearing the names of Drake Jackson or Christian Rector? Or, I mean, Jay Tefele got in the backfield a couple of times. That was about it from their yeah. pass rush. Now, they blitzed a little bit in the second half. They blitzed a lot in the first half as well. A lot of those were run blitzes, early downs, trying to, you know, just bring a bunch of guys up the line of scrimmage so they couldn't get the, the you know, some get the run game going. Uh, but in the second half, they did a couple of pass blitzes. Greg Johnson, I think that was the only sack of the game. Yeah, they had, the pressure came from DBs. Like Talanoa yeah. Funga had some pressure. Greg Johnson got the sack. So that's, Talanoa that's had the you know the strip on the first drive of the game, uh, where he, you know nearly got the ball or second drive. Um, so you know those guys were getting a little bit of pressure, but the front four never did anything. They give a lot of credit to Iowa's uh, offensive line. Tristan well. Wirfs is is a, is a beast. I think he's a first round guy. Just seeing him getting out on the edge and carry some of those run run plays was pretty phenomenal. He's an athletic guy. Um, but when you don't get any pressure on a quarterback, and you have a veteran quarterback back there. Nate Stanley's not a good quarterback. He might no. be, end up in the NFL for a couple of years as a, you know, a third-string guy. You know, He's got that ability. He's just a cerebral guy, not going to lose you the game type of player. He's, he shouldn't be beating you, though. No. And he was able to beat he USC. USC yeah. uh, you know, he was able to pick up those third downs. So you have that aspect of the defense. You know, Third and longs, and you can't get off the field. You know, the defense is just giving up drives, and it's just slow, methodical there, just like Iowa wanted. But yeah. the thing with Iowa, and they brought this up at the end of the game on the broadcast, is their field goal kicker never came on the field. It was the first time he never uh, attempted a field goal. Yeah. In his, He's think, really good. I think yeah. in his career. Um, and the reason why he normally is out there is because they struggle in the red zone. Yeah. USC even, you know, they get third down late, and it's I think it was 35-24. to 24. And, you know, they had a turnover. You force a field goal there, and he, Stanley scrambles up the middle, completes a pass. Just a great throw, you know, it's on, on the side. Um, and, you know, Chris Steele is holding. They score the touchdown there. If you hold them to a field goal, everything is kind of going against you right then. But you're only down two scores. Yeah. And so you you get put together a drive, or you make a nice throw to Michael Pittman on the outside instead of underthrowing him on the one that should have been a touchdown. That should have been a touchdown. You know, if you you connect on a play like that, suddenly it's a you know you're back to a touchdown game. Anything can happen. You know, you create one, you get one big play on defense, and suddenly you're back in. Chris Steele had an opportunity for an interception. He swatted the ball down. You know, and that was one of the things on the sideline during kind of that time frame. You know, they, they were down, uh, you know, they're down 11 at that point. And then after that, I think after that touchdown or before, right before that, after they got a couple of those stops and the stops were Iowa dropping the ball, Iowa making a bad throw. Yeah. You know, those guys were open both times as well. But you got off the field. Around that time, Clay Helton's going around to both of the huddles. You're seeing the defensive position coaches. We just need one stop. We need one stop. Greg Johnson was imploring the guys, like, somebody needs to just step up and make that one big play. And that's really all they needed on defense, and they would have been suddenly right back in the game. Yeah. But instead, everything went the complete opposite way. And it was it's kind of it became that culmination. Not only did you have the special teams, you know, uh touchdown early in the game, defense just couldn't make the big plays, couldn't create 
the big turnover to churn things. Uh, and the offense just wasn't the same without Keaton Slovis. They moved the ball a little bit initially with Matt Fink, but then Iowa made some adjustments. They were playing some off coverage early. They made some adjustments, took away the hitches and stuff that they had early. And that means, hey, now you can go up top and try to go over the top of them. When they did that, Fink wasn't able to get the ball out there on a couple yeah, times they tried it. Yeah, we didn't see the YOLO raid like we saw with the, you know, the only, like uh, the Rain of Troy people call the YOLO raid where, you know, Matt Fink did that against Utah. Just didn't look very good. And USC turned the ball over. They had three turnovers. Could have been a pick six early on for uh, Keaton Slovis, and it was just completely dropped by the uh, linebacker or DB or whatever. And there was another – I think there was another one too. USC had an opportunity to get a turnover too, but it could have easily been like a five-turnover game for USC. But three to zero, that's the – you know, three turnovers to zero, that's not a recipe for success. So it's just – you know, people say if Slovis didn't go down, USC was still losing at the time. That was a, a really neat uh, onside kick thing. Uh, but again, with the special team stuff – you can't have three or four horrible plays and then one great one, and, and then everyone just talk. Whoa, we had this great special teams plays. Like, no, you're you're you can't bat that way. You have to just be a little bit better than average or average. And USC just continues to be below average, which you get that one signature play, but then all the other ones are terrible. You can't give up a touchdown like that. That's just ridiculous. So, um, no, you know, that's a, maybe that's a good segue into defensive struggles and special team struggles and those coaches are now gone before we do i just want to talk about something really quick shotgun you talked to austin jackson after the game one of the matchups we were looking at uh, coming into that game was austin jackson versus aj epinesa what did you what did he have to say about his performance and what did you take away from what i know scouts were looking at that matchup does that affect what he, his decision at all I, I think it could affect uh, the decision there. But I was actually going to say right before that is that their stars stepped up and made big plays. Yeah. You know, Amir, I, I can't remember his last name, but the, the kid has three touchdowns in three different ways. Nearly had a Almost. passing touchdown, <laughs> yeah. too. He should have probably had that. Um, but, you know, Brendan Smith comes back for them, their wide receiver. He'd been injured. He was, he was probably – those two guys were the two explosive players on offense, and they made all their plays, basically. Um, on defense – Epinesa is a dude coming off the yeah, edge. Yeah, what do you have, like three and a half tackles for loss, two, two and, and a half, half sacks. sacks. Um, and now looking back at it, I looked at the stat line. I was like, wow, that does not look good for Austin Jackson. Looking back at the tape, though, kind of watching it again, he gave up the the one on Keaton. That's definitely on him. Um, and I talked to Epinesa a little bit about you know Austin Jackson and what he studied on him. He said he saw a couple things that he doesn't do as well, and he said those are the things he started attacking. And just the back and forth was kind of interesting, and you know talking to Austin Jackson about it. And you know he said something that it may not sound great to some people, but is also true. You know, there's he's like there's 60 plays in the game, and people will remember that one. Yeah. And that's the thing as an offensive lineman. You know, right. if you block great for 59 plays, but you give up a sack that turns the game, you know, then people only remember that one play. Right. And that's that's the life of an offensive lineman. That's the life of a defensive lineman, too. You know, you can play 60 snaps, and if you get the quarterback twice, you've had a great game. Right. You can you play terrible the rest of the 58. Yeah, it doesn't up. matter yeah. if you get there twice. And USC's top players didn't make big plays. You know, I'm on Ross St. Brown, you know, taking him out of the equation. You know, he had a really nice game. You know, some great throws from Keaton Slovis, the one over the middle of the 55-yarder where it looked like, you know, he hit his he head hit a couple hard. times. You're like, wow, that's yeah. pretty impressive. Uh, so he had a really good game. But besides that, you know, no one really stepped up and made impact plays. You know, Austin Jackson on the edge, having to go against Epinesa now. Granted, there was a one-on-one -on -one matchup all night. And Epinesa was, told me that afterwards. He's like, you know, I really respect him as, as a player, as, as, a, as a person. 
you know, he he took on that one-on-one matchup. And I asked him, like, is that common? He said it's kind of been up and down this season, but he's faced a lot of double teams this year. Yeah, There weren't tight ends chipping over there. There were occasionally they would shift the blocking towards his side. But, yeah, that was an NFL matchup right there. That's a, you know, both those guys are going to be first, second, third-round guys, at worst, third-round yeah. guys. Um, so a lot of scouts were paying attention to that matchup. Now, how does that affect Austin Jackson going forward? I know he's going to go back and watch watch the tape and see you know what he did uh, what he did poorly, what he did well in that, and he's going to hear from people and say, "This performance does this help you hurt you?" You know, I, I think he showed his athleticism, being able to get to the speed of Epinesa, but I think Epinesa had better technique on the edge, and there were some things there that Austin still has to clean up. Now, there's a lot of factors that go into any person's decision on whether to leave school or come back from family to education to all those things, you know, how close you to your degree, all those type things go into it. How you play in the big time matchups that affects your draft status as well. You know, if he stonewall him the entire game, then his draft status was going to his draft yeah. stock was going to rocket up, I think. Just because Epines is probably the second best pass rusher in the country behind Chase Young. You know, he's in top five at least. Yeah, he's up there. You know, he he's been a guy. He's got double digit sacks two years in a row. He may come back to school. You know, he you know they were talking about that a little bit on the broadcast. And I talked with a couple of Iowa people. You know, that's a a terror for the Big Ten going forward. But yeah, I think that that was a big matchup, and I think that because Epinesa won that matchup, that lent to Iowa. You know, having success. And the the one sack that Keaton Slovis got injured on that was on Austin Jackson. There was one, it looked like there was a miscommunication. There looked like there were a couple different times where there were miscommunications with the offensive line uh, between Austin Jackson, Elijah Vera Tucker, Brett Nealon on that side, and also with Vi Malapai uh, picking up a couple of blitzes as well. There were things that you, the things that had been, USC had been doing really well as an offensive line, as, as a protection group, that they didn't do great in this game. And uh, I think that's why you saw Keaton Slows get beat up as much as he did. Yeah. Not necessarily just one-on-one beats in this game. You know, Epinesa is really difficult. And if he gets a little bit of space on you on the outside, sometimes you just push him a little bit farther out. The last sack of the game, Matt Fink, there was pressure coming to the other side, and he tried to roll out to the left. And Austin Jackson's like, okay, I'm pushing this guy out, pushing this guy out. And basically Fink runs right into him. Yeah. And so Epinesa gets another sack on that one. You're like... But that's, that wasn't like yeah, Austin. That's Jackson's not fault. one you blame on Austin Jackson yeah. necessarily. But you know, I, I think he he was people a, were kind of crushing Austin Jackson a little bit. And I think when if you, you look, look at, at the, the stats, yeah, it's but overall, I think it was not it's not terrible for him that yeah. game. Yeah, he didn't have a great game. Um, I, I still think he was okay in the game. I think he showed that he can block guys like that for yeah. sure. And that's the big thing with him and his draft stock is potential. Now, does he come back a year and he clean up those potential things, those technique things, and and suddenly that potential becomes production? And then I think I think he can skyrocket up into the draft. I think he can be a top fifteen pick if he and, comes back. Uh, yeah, if I mean he has to do some work, obviously. And he, I mean, he didn't have an off season last year. I think that's huge for him. And that's I asked him, you know, what's one of the things you're going to emphasize this off season? He's like, well, kind of everything, just because you know I, I basically lost all last season because he had the surgery uh, to you know to, to donate to his. His uh, sister, yeah. yeah. So you know that, that basically just sapped him for almost the entirety of the off season. So yeah. he's still got a lot of stuff to work on, on, and he's going to be working on that, regardless of whether it's at USC or at the next level. Yeah. Before we move on, Chuck, and there's a lot of questions about your hat tonight. Look, you know Oklahoma, they just got beat down, so I figured they needed a fan for the night. Nice. You know, and they needed someone so showing them a little bit of support, right? 
Maybe. I didn't know if there's any fans out there. I know there's still USC fans because we see them every time. They got a beat down too, but not as bad as Oklahoma. Oklahoma got a bad one. And plus, it's just a really sweet hat. You know, you get the you get the schooner sure. on there. Oh, nice. So, aren't you supposed to be neutral as a journalist? I'm not covering <laughs> gotcha. Oklahoma. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm not covering Oklahoma here. One last point before we move on to uh, the the firings, if you will. There was a lot of talk about the preparation leading into this bowl game. I think it's safe to say that it just, especially in your point about the the O line not gelling well they did not look prepared out there especially on defense but the thing is you still have clay hilton as a head coach going forward it seems like we always reference the 2015 uh, uh holiday bowl and how they got beat by wisconsin the prep wasn't really there do you feel like lessons have been learned in that area no what lessons alert what are you talking about no clay hilton <laughs> does things the way he does things and you know, we there was 11 practices on the schedule there was a lot of criticism that they weren't using enough bowl practices and then when we go to practice clay helton talks about the 15 practices they had and like where did those extra four practices come from and um you know i think there was a couple practices they had full pads dan talked about some of the different techniques iowa was using tackling to the ground even when they were just in shells and not in full pads that's just not something that I, whatever for whatever reason he's not comfortable doing um that might that may change when you bring in a new defensive coordinator if it's a strong defensive coordinator they might you know insist hey we're going to be doing more tackling and practice because like we said, the last time they tackled in practice, we believe, was in fall camp. Um, you know, and you get that kind of more goal line stuff where the offensive linemen are just smashing in the defensive linemen. You know, it's not like you have to do Oklahoma drills every day. But I think you need it a little bit more. Uh, I don't think there's a lesson learned, Keely, unless, uh, you know, unless another coach comes in and does that. Because, you know, we, we know the way Clay Helton does things, and it's yeah. just not uh, – it's, it's just not the way that, you know, some other coaches do. One yeah. of the things that's interesting to me is when they had the Wisconsin prep, you know, the, the fewer practices, they had fired coaches. Yes. And so that was used as maybe that's the reason why Clay Helton's not making changes immediately after, you know, he's announced that he's coming back. Maybe he wants that continuity going into the bowl game. You got the crap beat out of you, so right. what did it matter? Because that was his whole thing going into it when we were asked about staff changes, and even after the game when he referenced staff changes, he said, I've been focused on the Holiday Bowl, I've been pre preparing for the Holiday Bowl, but where did that get you, you know? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What, so, it was a, I forget who was saying this, and uh, was Dan, Dan was quoting this, where if you know yeah. you need to make, if you know you got to make a move, if you know you got to fire something, if you know, you know it now, don't wait to do it, like, you knew you didn't evaluate Clancy Pendergast and John Baxter based on that game, guys that you had you know talked very highly about before. John Baxter being the best special teams coach in the country, despite all the data that you've provided to show otherwise, you didn't decide that within 24 hours of the the uh, Holiday Bowl ending. You knew that going into it. You knew we had heard before. You know we talked about this before. We had heard before the game that those guys were both going to be fired. If you know that, you just fire him. You got Dave Campo on there. Just let him come in and call a defense. You got, you know, Johnny Nansen or or uh, Joe DeForest. They've done special team stuff. Mm -hmm. They could do, just. You knew you were going to do it. Just get rid of them early. Like it was just dumb, and it didn't look like either one of those guys were all that interested in making uh, a, a great showing because defense and special teams just played woefully. And both of those were game plan stuff. Yeah. Uh, Iowa hit them the kickoff return. I'm gonna we're gonna point this out if we do film study, but oh. um, they they hit him with a counterplay. Now uh, John Baxter told me after the game, I talked to him one on one. He said it's the same counterplay they ran against Nebraska, the same returner. He had two touchdowns in two consecutive games. They took the guy. If you're looking at it, the returner is looking. He's about to catch the ball. The guy is on the very front line on the far right. 
He's the one that kicks out Chris Steele, who's supposed to be the you know the emergency tackler. You always keep one person back on each side uh, on a kickoff coverage to be like your emergency guy. Like this guy, this is the guy who has to make the tackle if it gets to him. He gets kicked out and he's out of the play. They don't even talk about it on the broadcast because he's you don't really see him. He was way far on the outside. And so yeah. this guy ran basically all the way from this side of of this, and as Chris Steele's coming down, he kicks him out here, and there's the huge lane wide open yeah. there. So that was schematic. So that was game prep by Iowa on USC. So you didn't do anything. Now, give give Baxter credit for the game plan of the onside kick. They saw the way that Iowa was you know, backing up on the returns. So give them a little credit there. But the same thing on defense, it was all game prep. Iowa did stuff that USC you know, just couldn't stop. You know, and they were – it was simple things. It was never like there was only a couple plays where you just go, that guy just didn't make a play. Yeah. You know, the run on third down, Talanoa had a shot at a tackle. That guy just didn't make a play. But everything else was just like that schematics, like, oh, they're getting right. the edge again. Yeah. Oh, they got guys. Like the reverse front. and the guy walks into the end zone without being touched or whatever. You're like, okay, let's do you know the the, pa- the reverse pass, you know, that was wide open. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of things where guys were wide open and it wasn't necessarily like, oh, that that player just didn't make a play. That was more like, oh, their, yeah. their scheme is not set up for that. Now, USC did some different things on defense. They played a lot of 4-3 early in the game. But those things just did not work no. uh, against Iowa. They were able to continually move the ball, move the chains. And, you know, you got to give credit to their coaching staff. Definitely outcoached the defense and the special teams there. As far as the the, the Wisconsin stuff go, Keeley, like, yeah, at the time when Clay Hilton took over and he made all those changes, there weren't really a lot of good candidates. But you could have had, like, Chris Hawkins step in. You have Dave Campo. On. I mean, there was options this time if you wanted to make those firings. You could have backfilled fairly easily, and it would have been okay. We saw, um, you know, you, you talk about the Notre Dame comparisons. Brian Kelly fired his offensive coordinator again yeah. and brought in somebody else to call. I mean, you could have done that. So it, he obviously knew he was going to do that. We had heard that, that this was going to happen. It just seems silly to not do it before the game well this whole since the regular season ended we've had questions about timing to begin with first off with the clay helton decision 11 days yeah and then if you know that this is the end result why wait as long as you did i know you might not get a justin flow if you don't have a defensive coordinator but at least you have movement and and you have more uh fluidity i guess and then going forward what does it look like for this team now that they have openings what are you expecting for the timeline yeah, we just put up a, a hot board for the defensive coordinator. I, this is one you just got to watch. Special teams doesn't really matter as much. A lot of coaches, I mean, staff don't even have a special teams coordinator. You could, I mean, it could be a, a shared duties. Um, I think it'll help that they won't, probably won't spend as much time on special teams as they do and to have the, the terrible results. Shotgun tweeted out some, for the last two years, all of the gaffes on special teams, and there was a lot of them. So make sure you check that out. But for defensive coordinator, obviously that's a huge uh, that's a huge hire, and where which direction you're going to go? I think with the Cliff Kingsbury thing, you know, you could say it sort of fell into to uh, Clay Helton's lap. They needed to bring in someone that was going to run their own offense, and the fact that you were able to get a Graham Harrell, but Graham Harrell's a young guy. He didn't come in and demand a bunch of his own uh, staff members. If you get a really strong defensive coordinator, people have talked about like Jack Del Rio or something, mostly just because of the USC ties. And in this case, I don't care that he knows the fight song. You want to bring in a former NFL head coach to be your defensive coordinator, I'm fine that he knows the fight song and all that stuff. But someone like that isn't going to come in and go, well, here's the coaches we're going to let you work with. He's going to say, no, I want this guy, this guy, this guy. And I think that would be great uh, for USC and for Clay Helton if you bring in someone that's going to run their own system and be very strong. Or if you're promoting someone that was, uh, 
linebacker coach before, and it's like their first time being a defensive coordinator. You know, in that case, then it's just going to kind of fit into, you know, what USC already does now. So I'm really curious to see what direction uh, Clay Hilton goes with this um, because, you know, the, the defense, the, the talent that is on USC's defense, you look at the numbers, it just doesn't add up. They just have way too many talented guys. There's too many five-star guys running around to have the kind of middle to below average defenses that they've been fielding. Now, this is a question we talked about on the Parasol podcast, I know, but if can you really change the culture of this team if you don't change the head coach? Isn't it top down? What, how do you think that this can, what this can do? Because we've seen what Graham Harrell did to the offense. He definitely uh, bolstered that to a better uh, new level. What do you think about defensive coordinator? I mean, you can, I think you can make incremental changes and make things a little bit better. Um, there's, you know, there were so many problems. There was a lot that could have been fixed. I think last year, everything you've done though, has been a year too late. Uh, after the 2017 yeah. season, Clay Helton looked at that as a team that won the Pac-12. And you got to look at it as a team that wasn't able to hang with Blue Bloods. Like, that's how you need to look at it. You needed to make changes. Didn't make any. Didn't make some after the 5-7 and seven season. Didn't make enough. Now you make the changes you should have made after last year. And I think they're still, get, you know, they're still talented. They can get better with a really good defensive coordinator. But you're not going to change the culture unless you change the head coach. And you need to – it's exactly like Keeley said. It starts from the top. So – um, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, you're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic and it's sort of that way, but you know, with a good defensive coordinator and the talent USC has and Graham Harrell, USC could win double digit games next year. And people don't want to hear that because Clay Helton's so terrible. Like, but the whole Pac-12, I mean, USC will probably be the favorite of the Pac-12 next year, despite the way they are. I mean, Utah's losing a lot, you know, even Washington, just, you know, Jacob Eason's going into the draft. Yeah. Uh, you're losing a bunch of guys at Oregon. I mean, USC finished clear third in the Pac-12 this year as badly as they played at times, but the rest of the Pac-12 just isn't that good. So yeah. you make a good defensive coordinator hire and USC could you know, win the Pac-12 easily. I know USC, some USC fans don't want to hear that, but that can really happen. But will the culture change? Until Clay Helton's gone, it will not change. You can make incremental improvements in culture or changes to culture uh, based on units. But also I think how much you can change. I think that you can change a, a good portion of your culture if the head coach allows it. Yeah. How much do you allow the defense coordinator to take over? Do you say, okay, you want to tackle in practice and you want to do this or this, and you allow that to happen? Yeah, I think that can change the culture. You know, I think Clay Helton has, you know, he, the players like him, the players play for him, you know, they're willing to play. They don't give up necessarily. So I think that that part is okay, but the bigger issues are the toughness features. And on defense, I think that you can make the, some of those changes and play towards that. Can you get over the hump? Can you go for, you know, Clay Helton said, you know, was asked after the game, you know, how does this team get back to winning Rose Bowls and, you know, being Pac-12 champions? He said, we got to go from good to great. I don't know if you're good right now. No. You're okay. Yeah. For the talent you have, you're okay. Yeah. You got to get back to good first, and then that's when you go. Can he get them over the hump to great? And that's when you're in the national championship uh, conversation. That's the question. I don't think anyone has any confidence in Clay Hilton. In. Yeah. The weird. The weird thing too is when you start hearing rumblings. If we've all played sports, you're doing things like that. Like when you hear someone say like he's not doing this or she's not doing this or whatever. It's like almost in your mind you want to do that, you know. And he's heard so many times about. The team is soft. They don't tackle in practice. And for whatever reason, that's the philosophy. He doesn't want, like, just one day you just come out and go, 
Oklahoma drills today. Everybody's hitting each other. We're gonna. It's gonna be a bloodbath out there. Just, just you know, one. Just do it once. Like do something, and fans would love. I mean, people would go crazy, and it would probably help the team. Uh, but I, for whatever reason, it's just not. There's a. There's. We talk about this. He comes up with like a plan in the off season, and that's gonna set up. You know what? You're how you're gonna practice in November, no matter how well the team played or poorly they played or whatever the deficiencies they are. This is how we're gonna do it, and it just doesn't seem to change. So I'm. I'm not sure why that is, but that just seems to be – that's just part of, like, the way Clay Helton coaches. One of the questions we've gotten so far that I just want to uh, just address already, in the statement of releasing uh, the coordinators, Clay Helton mentioned that he also consulted with AD Mike Bone. Now people are, are wondering, is this something that he was forced to do? Because, as you mentioned, the the 5-7 and seven season, he didn't get rid of Baxter or Clancy. Um, how much do you think that weighed into his decision, Mike Bone kind of forcing his hand, or is this something that he clearly knew he had to do? I, I think from, you know, sources we've talked to, I think, I don't know if it came directly from them, but the, the athletic department was definitely aware of this. So uh, it, it, if, if, if anything, it was a collaboration between the two, it, but it very low, well likely could have come down. It's like, look, you're staying, but these guys have to go. And I'm not saying Clay Helton wouldn't have done it himself, but I, I think the athletic department was definitely involved in this is this uh, decision. Mm-hmm. All right, let's jump into calls because they've been waiting for a good Yeah, day. Thank you guys for, for doing that. Uh, first off, let's go to Jeff from Newport Beach, I believe. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hi, guys. Good evening. Thanks for having me on. Uh, great show, by the way. Uh, just a couple things i like your feedback on. Um, one, everybody wants help and gone, obviously, and um, a lot of people are saying maybe next year, maybe next year. Uh, by the way, they extended Harold. And the way they fire these two last, uh, you know, coaches, do you guys not think that they're really looking long-term and keeping Heldman and really rebuilding that staff that they promised to do a couple years ago? Because, as you know, no good defensive coordinator is going to come in knowing that this guy is on a yearly hot seat. So what I'm trying to say is the long-term vision is to keep Helton and try to lure in these coaches uh, slowly. I don't know. That's just the way I see it, because especially with Harold's uh, extension as well. That's the first thing. And number two is I just want to point out, I don't know if you guys saw or not, but um, post-game, a couple of our players, when they asked them, hey, what happened this? And they were just kind of like, yeah, man, we just got to go and, you know, learn from our mistakes and correct it. Ohio State gets to the playoffs. They lose literally in the last minute, and a couple of their players are in tears saying their whole season is a failure. So this just shows what kind of losing culture our, our team has where they just have to go correct a mistake after a blowout. And Ohio State last-minute loss, almost a perfect season, is a complete failure to them. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, uh, Jeff. Yeah, appreciate that. Um, yeah, as far as man, see, you, you can't have multiple points because then we forget what the heck you were talking about for the first time. But as far as like the extension for Graham Harrell, yeah, I mean that I think that's certainly a concern. If you get a lower-level defensive coordinator, it won't be that big of a deal. But if you brought in a big name. That's going to take another multi-year, con- you know, extension. I mean, uh, contract sort of thing. Then, if you do blow out Clay Helton during the season or next year or a- or after the season, now you have these other buyouts that you have to deal with as well. And that was one of the issues, apparently, you know, for this season too. So I think that's certainly a concern. Curious to see how that goes. But there's the care being there would be, hey, you have the potential if you hire a really good defensive coordinator. You could potentially end up being the head coach because you have a coach that's you know on the hot seat all the time. So that's a that's a selling point too. So that's why I think this is a really interesting defensive coordinator hire. Which direction do they go? Who can they get? And will it be you know 
the stronger a personality, the stronger person, the, if you bring a DC that has a lot of power, wields a lot of power, that's a good thing for the program. If it's just like a ho-hum sort of hire, then you're probably looking at a throwaway year and then, you know, well, who knows? They, we would say that every time. you were done pred predicting. That's what, you know, logically what should happen, but then that means it probably won't. So who knows? <laughs> I think that they still can get a good defense coordinator. I think the two scenarios that you look at as potential of hiring a, a guy that you really want rather than you're pulling someone off a scrap heap um, is, like you said, someone who thinks that, okay, this might be an end to eventually being the head coach. Or this might be an end to being a head coach somewhere else as well. You yeah. know, if I come in, I have a really good year, look at what I've done turning around this team. And the reason why you would think that as a defense coordinator is you go, oh, I got Talano Hufunga, yeah. Isaiah Polamau, I got young DBs at, in the other spots, I got Pallier Natiote, you know, I, I got Drake Jackson up front, mm -hmm. I got potentially Jay Tavele and Marlon Tupelotu back. You go, there's pieces there. Right. I don't have to be there long. You're like, why does this defense stink? Like exactly. <laughs> you look at it and you go, there's talent. Uh, if I get the right guys to coach up the positions, I got my guys that I know that are going to do that or whatever. Yep. You go, this could just be a springboard to me getting a head coach job if that's the person's aspirations. Yeah. Or you go out and you get in, a, in the back. The other side of it is potentially getting a younger guy that wants to prove himself. Someone like Zach Arnett from uh, San Diego State who's putting up terrific numbers down there with their defense. And he's been there for, I think, six years now, was their linebacker coach, and now has been the defense coordinator a couple of years. He says, look, I'm talented. No one's paying any attention to me, though, because I'm, I'm at San Diego State. I go to USC, and I suddenly I turn that defense around. Now everyone sees me as a top-tier defensive coordinator, and that, that's when the big bucks come. So I think those are the two scenarios where you potentially can hire someone that's a really good defense coordinator still. not just, Because a lot of people say, oh, who's going to want to come in because of you know the potential of you know Helton being fired after another year? Yeah. As far as oh, his second question about the team's demeanor after the game and whatnot, there were the Michael Pittmans who took it hard, obviously, if it's your last game and whatnot. But I was a little taken aback by how kind of nonchalant people were about it. And also the disconnect between, oh, this is a learning lesson, this is going to be the building blocks to correcting mistakes, et cetera, et cetera. I just felt like there was a disconnect of like, this is like this is the end of the season. There's, it just didn't seem like they took it uh, as seriously as maybe they could have. I don't know. I, Chuck, and I know you and I differ on how we feel about players reacting to things, but I felt like it was a, a weird disconnect. I mean, that's a culture thing for one. Yeah. You know how how important is it to you? You know what is important to you as a player? You know, I, I said this previously when the Oregon game, there are players posing on the sideline for photos when they're getting beat down. That's what's important to you. That's what you're saying is important to you rather than being disgusted by the fact you're getting blown out at home against a team that you probably should hate in Oregon. After the Holiday Bowl, eh, it's, it's a Holiday Bowl loss. It's really we got we got to do better. We got to do better in these certain things. Now certain players react in different ways. That's always been the case. Dory Jackson was never going to be the guy that's throwing stuff in the locker room. Yeah. Uh, Although upset. he was tweeting gifts, upset. <laughs> yes, he, he didn't like he, that. That is also yeah. his, his type thing is yeah. to be do something funny. He's always got a smile on his face. Different players react different ways. Juju at the same time was a guy who had stormed out of practice and had to be brought back in by Dory at different times. It's fine to react in different ways, but at least show that you care. Yeah. And sometimes you don't see you haven't seen that from recent teams from USC. How much do they care? Yeah. And I think that the culture and it's also the other thing though is. A lot different stakes when you're playing to go to a national championship game versus 
Holiday Bowl. What does it matter whether you win or lose? Like, yeah. what is? But what this, is, this game mattered though for Clay Helton, like, and Mike Bone. It it mattered to those guys. And then, but it starts from the top when Clay Helton comes out in the press conference, and the first thing words out of his mouth are thanking the Iowa fans for making a great atmosphere. Like, what it, what message are you sending to your players? Like, you need to be out there going. We should never get our ass kicked by Iowa by 25 points. Like, that should never happen. That's on me. And I'm, I'm going to, you know, to the day I die, they're never going to let something like this happen again. We're going to change this. We're going to do this. Something like that. And I think the players react differently. When it's all about, hey, you know, losing eight games, uh, five games this year and getting blown out a couple of times the last few weeks. But there's going to great building blocks for the future. It's like, no, no, that's no, those are not great building blocks. You get your ass whooped. So that, so. The players see that, and they can react similar. If, if Clay Helton was out there, and this was like the worst thing that's ever happened in his life, I think the players would act differently too. So you got it starts from the top. So that's yeah. the, that goes back to the culture thing. It's really hard to change the culture, or impossible when it's you're not changing the head coach. Yeah. If Clay Helton would have been on the field and said, "You're not leaving the field. You stay out here and watch them celebrate. I yeah. want you to see them celebrate," maybe that stings in someone's mind. Yeah. I mean, I've there's national championship coaches that have done that. You know. And baseball, you know, I've been in one of the College World Series. Said, no, you stay out here and watch. I want you guys to feel the pain of losing a national championship, what it feels to you, and let that motivate you through the off season. No, they were out of the field. There were some guys that took off immediately. Done. There were yeah. some smiles going up the tunnels and stuff. You know, whatever. Yeah. All right, let's go to our next caller on the line. Let's go to Brandon from Minnesota. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey. How's it going, guys? Hey, so, Brandon. Um, I ha so I have a Kind of a two-parter, but uh, what are the odds that we can get, like, a top 25 defense coordinator from, like, Utah, San Diego State, or, like, Minnesota? And if we were to get them, would Clay Helton let them run their defense like he let Graham Harrell do? Because I feel like he's wants to do whatever he can to save his job. Yeah. No, I mean, those are great questions. How much control does Clay Helton give up? And then, you know, who are you able to get? Do you go after it's a little safer to get someone from like San Diego state, as opposed to someone like Jack Del Rio, who would come in with all this cachet, all that, you know, uh, anyone that has a huge name, like if you hired Dave Aranda, you're not going to hire Dave Aranda, but you hire someone like Dave Aranda. That's a Never big know. name. I mean, who knows? He gets two and a half million dollars a year, uh, for Ed Ordron, someone like that. You can't, there's no, there's no question about the control. Like you have to give up control mm -hmm. with Jack Del Rio. You're giving up control. Uh, with the dude from San Diego State, you might not have to give up as much. So I think there's a, a give and take there. So I, I'm really curious to see which direction they go. And if they try to get someone big and can't, or they don't really try to go after someone big because they don't feel comfortable, that, that I mean, it's a great question, Brandon. It's just hard to say at this point. But I think the, I think the possibility is still there for the reasons I mentioned before. I think it's still an attractive job for a, a defense coordinator. Now, someone going from like a Randa, were you already with a program like that? No, I don't think so. Um, but a San Diego State or like a Minnesota, Minnesota, you know, their offensive coordinator uh, just left and went to Penn State. It is a step up from there. Now, yeah. I don't think Utah's uh, defense coordinator will leave. He's been there for a long time. He's kind of the coach in waiting, it seems like there. Yeah, I would love to see him hire a power five guy. I, I'm kind of thinking it's going to be a group of five guy is would be my guess. That's kind of what we've seen before. So, um, it. Clayton's been reluctant to go out and get people outside of the comfort zone. Dylan McCullough was maybe the first one, and that worked out really well. And then they kind of just went back to the well. Um, and then, you know, for the offensive coordinator last year, another one. So we'll see uh, for this one. But I'd love to see 
a power five guy moving over, even if it's from like a Minnesota, that's not, you know, a middle of the road, big 10 team or a middle of the road, something like that. That's fine. But someone from power five, as opposed to group of five, I think would be better. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Would you rather have someone who's doing really well right now, the Minnesota or Utah, the San Diego state there or a bounce back, you know, that's a bigger name like Charlie strong or Jack Del Rio or some of those names that are on our hot board that you can check out on, yeah, I kind of like the, I mean, if there's a former head coach, that's okay uh, as far as bounce back stuff goes. But just go get a power five. Like when they've when they done that, like Kingsbury was power five and then uh, Dylan McCullough, like we mentioned, was uh, Indiana. But get someone like that. You know, get someone from Iowa State. It doesn't have to be, you know, from uh, Florida State or well, they're not doing that well or Texas <laughs> or something. But get someone that's a power five guy. Uh, just show that you can do that. Show that you're USC, that you're an upper echelon power five. We're going to get someone else that's also power five. They just haven't shown that they've really had the desire to do that, I think. Yeah. Let's go to David next on the call. Hello, you're live on television. Hey, guys. It's David from uh, Des Moines, Iowa. Oh. And uh, I, got a lot, I got a bunch of shit from my friends during the game. And uh, they were telling me that, wow, it's really development versus talent. So just curiosity in terms of what does this blowout mean for recruiting? Because, I mean, if I'm a recruit and I got an offer from Iowa versus USC, I might want to be thinking – I might uh, want to think twice about going to USC just because they can develop players rather than USC can right now. Thanks hey, for your time. Hey, David. Thanks, David. Most likely they're not going to be – there's not a lot of recruiting battles between Iowa and USC just the way that works. But the, the development thing is a real – issue yeah. for sure um you could look at like a utah that's closer uh you could say hey that's a you're getting developed there where usc bring in it brings in higher level talent but they haven't been doesn't look like they're getting a whole lot better in, in, in a lot of those positions uh but this was the worst recruiting class we've ever seen so i and you got it's not over yet it's yeah. not over but it will be it still will be the worst recruiting class we've ever seen like no matter what they do um but yeah you're it's tough because you have a it's it's less about one game like you're not going to say oh Iowa beat USC there's not recruits going like well I was going to go to USC but now I want to go to Iowa like that doesn't happen like one that's game not doesn't change they don't the recruits don't care about that kind of stuff um, but they do care about your coach if they're going to be around and they're going to if you have a coach that's on the hot seat for two years in a row there's no and they lose five games and get blown out a couple of times like they're going to still be on the hot seat next year and they're most likely going to lose to Alabama to start the season so. If you the the only way Clay Helton's off the hot seat, I think, is if he beats Alabama in Week One. If if not, still going to be like the hottest seat in the country, and that's not going to be good for recruiting more than Iowa blow out blew out USC in the Holiday Bowl. Yeah, I think the last recruit that was actually recruited by both was Epinesa. You know, USC tried to talk to him, but oh. he was he was pretty locked in with Iowa at the time. Um, but yeah, I don't think that they're going to look at it and say. This is a blowout. This is development. I think that's an overarching theme right now with USC. But I think a lot can change if you get a different defense coordinator that you know uh, your recruits look at and go, that guy develops people. So I, it, it, I think you can move right. out of the way. The same thing with the offensive players. They go, oh, I want to play in that Graham Harrell offense. So I, I think that can be thrown out of the window really quickly with the right hire. Right. Ryan, you mentioned hot seat. Is it fair to say hot seat at this point? Because hot seat is determined, when you say that, I think by the media, the fans, et cetera, right. et cetera. It's not necessarily from the athletic department, the people who actually control that decision. Sure, the real thing. I think it's the definition of hot seat that the media uses, Clay Helton will clearly be on that. But 
will he be yeah will that really be the case uh, i can't say anymore because you know many times he should have been fired and hasn't been but by the media definition that's who talks about it he will be on the hot seat next year yes uh let's go to our final caller who's been waiting for a bit in the queue i believe it is don thank you for waiting you are live on television Hey, what's going on, guys? This is Don from New Jersey, New York City, from the East Coast. I've been listening to you guys for a while, man. This is a great show you guys do. I'm staying up late on the East Coast on a usual basis. Thank you. Watching the games and listening to you guys. So you guys do an awesome job. And, uh, you, you know, out here in the East Coast, we love it. But um, it's it's just, it's just it's a really, really sad time to be a USC fan. And I just have to say that because when you kind of take a look at everything that's going on, and even with the Clay Helton situation, it's like in order to move on, truly move on, you have to kind of let go of certain things. He's like the last remnants of the Sark and like Kiffin era. Like he's like the last piece. And in order to truly, truly kind of like disassociate from that and really move on, you've got to let go of this guy. That's just one part of it. But then when you look at the recruits and you look at recruiting, even on the East Coast, we have a lot of great athletes out here, a lot of guys – um, Don Bosco, and of course you guys know um, Brian Cushing with the school out here, Bergen Catholic, like a lot of kids who are looking at a lot of great schools. They're not even considering USC. They're like, they're like, they stink. Like we're not going all the way out west to go out there. Like that, that's how kids are thinking. We want to go to LSU. We want to go to Clemson. Like that's how kids are paying attention. USC is not even on the map for these kids anymore because they just don't like how the program's going. And what kind of struck me today, and this is one of the main reasons why I'm calling, my wife, she commutes back there a lot, but she's like bi-coastal and stuff. So she's got a lot of friends who go, who went to USC, like, and they're even telling her, like, people are just talking, like, what the heck is going on with USC? They're like, how is, how is the program going from this to that? My wife is telling me, hey, I'm reading this stuff on USC. Like, what's going on over there? Why, why are they so bad? How are their recruits? Not even going as people calling. And so you have just regular people who don't even follow sports who are on the scope of like just like how bad it is. And even my wife even said, she said, if this guy is meaning Clay Helen, if he's not doing this good, why doesn't she just step down? Like, he knows that he's like not doing too well. We get it the whole $20 million thing that he's getting. I know that because I follow it. But that's what normal people are saying. They're saying if this is that bad, and you just can't cut it because of what the expectations are there, then maybe you need to take a step back because it's getting to the point now where I'm sure it's probably hard for him to drive. Don. Hey, Don. Don, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is your show. We're going to go move on. (laughs) Thanks for the call, though, Don. Um, Yeah. (laughs) We appreciate it, though. Yeah. And it it, it comes up a lot, though. Shouldn't Clay Helton step down? He's not going to step down. I mean, you can't blame Clay Helton for this. This is – you, if you hired any one of us to be the head coach of USC, we're getting paid $3 million a year or whatever. We're going to do our damnedest to do it. None of us are qualified, but we're going to try. We're not going to uh, – you know what? I just don't think this is going that well. We're going to quit. It's like, no, we're going to do whatever we can. And he survived three athletic directors already. So he's he is not saying that I'm not the right guy for the job. Everything he's saying is he's going to try to do whatever he can to – I mean – we know from what he's saying, he's going to do whatever he can to, to continue to be the head coach of USC. Is he going to go whatever he can do to try to win championships? I'm not sure. He's going to do it within his comfort zone. We haven't seen him go outside of his comfort zone, but I don't see him resigning as the USC head coach. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, it's, it's, 
ultra, ultra, ultra rare that anyone just steps down from a position due to not, you know, progressing the way they think the program should. Yeah. Gary Anderson's literally the only guy that comes to mind when I think of it. Yeah. yeah. At Oregon State. That was, but I think that he was, was frustrated with what was going on around more than like, he didn't say like, I suck at this. He's like, you people around me suck. I'm not going to do well. I'm out of here. More of that's more of his. Situation. And that was still a really weird situation. Right. It just yeah. He walked happen. away from like twelve million dollars or something. Yeah. Crazy. Very rare that, that something like that would happen. So it's up to the people above him to to make that right. decision. And he's going. Hey, you can't fault Clay Helton for taking the job. No. Yeah. Any one of us would. You know. Mm-hmm. You fault the leadership above him. It's been ten for years of incompetent job. leadership at the USA Athletic Department. For giving him the job and then continuing with him for the job three different times. Yeah. You know, from interim extending him, giving him coach, a big, yeah. extended big not, buyout, yeah. all that stuff, all above him. Not his fault. No. And speaking of leadership, if we want to jump into questions, Stephen on YouTube uh, kind of wanted to take stock of where Mike Bone is right now in the fans' eyes just because he came in saying the right things, and now some of his comments after uh, deciding to keep Clay Helton and then prior to the early signing period and then how that played out, they are kind of they can't really match up what he's saying with what actually happened. Right. So if you ever play that game, Shoots and Ladders, uh, Mike Bone came out of the gate and, like, Got on one of those ladders right away. Did you ever play this? <laughs> it goes like all the way to the top. Everyone's excited. Like, hey, it's an athletic director that didn't go to USC, didn't play football here. He said the right things, fight on to victory and all that stuff. And then the, he takes two steps on his next turn and hits that big shoot and goes all the way back down when he said he's, Clay Helton was coming back. So he had this you know, meteoric rise to the top. Everyone was like, this is amazing. And then he is now the most hated person around the USC campus. Every time, he doesn't even tweet anymore. He'll retweet things. Anytime he's mentioned, people just slam him on Twitter and you feel bad. But you knew, we said this before, the most important decision of his athletic director career will happen in the first 30 days. And it was. And he retained Clay Helton. It was the wrong decision. It was a very, very unpopular decision. And now nobody likes Mike Bone. So it's crazy. I mean, I, I think the jury's still out. You got to see what he's able to do. But it, it's not good when your first decision is is that bad. I know there's other reasons behind it, but you had to you had to put your little chart on the wall and put your pros and your cons and I think they underestimated the cons of bringing Clay Helton back. They did like, yeah, fans won't like it, but you know, they'll get behind us. Or like that's probably you can hear me like, yeah, they're not going to like this. But you know, they'll get behind us and uh they they're, they're going to fight on and it's like, no, that's not the way it's going to go. They're going to hate it. They're going to cancel season tickets. They're going to stop donating. They're going to every time you tweet, they're going to yell at you. Every time the, the president tweets, they're going to yell at her. So, I think they underestimated on their little pros and cons chart. And that's unfortunate. I think Mike Bowden can still do a good job, but it's not off to a good start, and the fans are not really happy with him. To your point about the inner dialogue, I guess, that they're having in their meetings, Anthony on Facebook said, do you think that Helton and the administration are pushing the narrative that fans don't support the team, which is why players like Chris Steele is on Twitter uh, calling out fans? Can you guys speak on this? I think it's a terrible way to go. The fans were just beaten. Into, it's like you bring you bring uh, you you go over to Vietnam in the the you know 1970 or something, and you rescue uh, a prisoner of war from you these know, analogies tonight. I'm just right? bringing those out of the door. You rescue a prisoner of war, and then you're like blaming him because like why were you why were you locked up for so long? It's like no, dude. It's your like it's not his fault. Like these were fans that have been beaten down and run over and not listened to and tortured. And then when you go out and torture them again, you're blaming them like, no, like you, this is the wrong approach. And I think you're going to see that change. I think they're going to realize it's not okay 
to blame the fans in this situation. Like the fans are right that they are right. They haven't been listened to. They've been the $100 donors that they're told don't matter. And they united, and it's hard to get fans to unite. You know, they united in, the, in this front. They knew they did not want Clay Helton to be the head coach, and you you let him be the head coach again. You can't blame the fans. So I think that's a a judgment error coming from the athletic department. Shocker, because they've had a lot of those. Um, but you can't blame the fans. Basically, anytime you do something that Lynn Swan had already previously done, you're not making the right move. No. And that was something Lynn Swan, if you remember, I think it was on a Trojans Live. He's like, the fans need to get behind us. We're a Trojan family. Yes. He's like, no, you need to put a product out there that they want to be behind. That's your yeah. job. That's it's arrogance. That's like, it yes. doesn't matter. You know, Pat Hayden did this. Lynn Swan did that. These are guys, these are figures that they've never been told no in their lives. Like, they're put on boards of things. And when, when I'll never forget the face that Pat Hayden made when he decided that, you know, to, to name Clay Helton the, the head coach. We were at the press conference. He made the announcement on the podium and tried to leave. And everyone's like, no, you got to answer questions. Like, he's like, don't you understand? I'm Pat Hayden. I made the decision. This is, this is going to be great. Like, just, just, I'm Pat Hayden. And it was like, no, we ended up interviewing him in a hallway yeah, with yeah, cameras and all this stuff. And Bruce Feldman asked him, do you talk to Chip Kelly? And he, he looked like a deer in the headlights. He had no idea. No one's ever told the guy no before. So there's just a, an ego arrogance sort of thing going on. And uh, I, I, yeah, I feel like that's, that's the way the fans feel like they just haven't been, their voice isn't heard unless you're the, the billionaire. Which is the reason why I'd be a great USC athletic director. I got plenty of ego to, to give as well. Oh nice. <laughs> uh, Jasper Smith on YouTube wants to know, uh, what have you seen from Elijah Vera Tucker and do you think he could leave uh, for the NFL? USC is going to be hurting bad if both Austin Jackson and Elijah yeah. Vera Tucker do go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker got a pretty good grade, uh, I was told. So, you know, that's a possibility. Oh. Now, I think that both those guys can come back, and for different reasons, I think they can come back and really improve their draft stock. Um, so, I, like I said, I think Austin Jackson can get into the top 15. And there's a, there's a pretty big decline in guaranteed money after about the top 15, top 20. So I think if he comes back, you get into that, that the big money, guaranteed money, I think that's a huge selling point that they can make to him. Um, have heard he's, you know, even more than I would think probably thinking about coming back. So we'll see how it plays out still, you know, but uh, you know, that could be a positive for USC. I think Elijah Vera Tucker may look and watch and see what Austin Jackson does before he makes his decision. We'll see. I mean, all those guys came in together. They could potentially have an offensive line next year of five guys that came into school at the same time together. That should be a really, really good offensive line. It should be a dominant offensive line. Now, will it be dominant? That's another question. Dominant. But okay. could be. Okay. Should be. Should be. When you you bring in a class of five guys and the time that they're seniors and redshirt juniors, they should be a dominant right. line together. A lot of should be's on this team. Should be. Should be. Um, but I think they can still be really good. Even if they're not dominant, I think they can still be really good. Uh, their second year in the offense, all those type things. Like I said, a lot of the stuff last night wasn't necessarily just one-on-one -on -one beats. There are a couple of those with Epinesa. He's really, really, really good. Yes. Uh, but the other stuff that Iowa got pressure was usually from miscommunications. That hasn't really been the case the second half of the season. Even, you know, say the Oregon game and stuff like that, it wasn't necessarily the case. So I think they can continue to progress if they come back together. But Elijah Vera Tucker, 
good grade. We'll see where he decide what he decides to do. He doesn't have a ton of game tape, yep. which is the biggest deal for him. And he's still got two years of eligibility left, so he could come back, play another year, and potentially even leave next year right. if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of already mentioned this shotgun, but Kobe on Facebook says, "Can you guys think of something to look forward to next year? We are so far away from the playoff teams that played last night." I mean, the the offense is fun. Like yeah. Keaton Slovis would be back. You got some good wide receivers. I mean, there's there's some good aspects. Uh, it's just you got to kind of put it all together. Uh, I mean, to Shotgun's point too with Elijah Vera Tucker, I, there could be guys leaving from the transfer portal. Like it, this this Clay Helton decision, you know, maybe things just kind of go forward, and you just you know you get a new defensive coordinator and some other coaches, and you fix things and go through. But there's more potholes along the way too. But looking forward to next year, I think you have to look at. Hey man, how much better can Keen Slovis be with that experience and some of the wide receivers and stuff? And uh, you know, you should still have some good running backs and all that. So I think that's what I would look forward to. And you mentioned Keen Slovis. Uh, just a couple of fun facts, not fun facts, but uh, he finished the season with a seventy-one point nine completion percentage, which is the highest by a freshman in NCAA history. And also, USC came out uh, yesterday with their other news and said that he only has a minor sprain that is not uh, doesn't require surgery, which is really good news because uh, given. The prospect, you might have had both JT Daniels and Keaton Slovis out for spring ball. So the fact that you most likely won't have Keaton Slovis out is a definitely good thing for USC. Yeah. I mean, man, what if Matt Fink decides to enter the transfer portal? Yeah. You could enter spring camp with no scholarship <laughs> quarterbacks available. It's Purdue time. Brandon Purdue. Cause, yeah. Because they have no no signees as of this moment. You know, maybe they sign somebody and, and maybe his injury, depending on the, you know, how quickly the diagnosis is on it. Maybe that pushes them to try to go out and get an extra quarterback, you know, before the signing period ends as well. Yeah. Um, but the the good thing is there's not surgery. When you look at the replay and the exercises they were doing on the sideline, they were all shoulder exercises. They came out and said, I think I think they said it was an elbow sprain. Yeah. But the sh- all the exercises on the sideline were shoulder exercises, which made me think it was a rotator cuff issue. Maybe if it even worse would have been labrum. Uh, you know, labrum injuries are the ones that pitchers usually don't come back from still. Um, so rotator cuff would have been really bad for a quarterback as well. So if it is indeed his elbow, I think that's a positive sign. And the fact that there's no surgery, that's definitely a positive sign. Yeah. I think it was, I think the TV broadcast or somebody said shoulder and it was either radio or TV broadcast. They said shoulder and elbow, but then afterwards, Clay Helton just said elbow, elbow. and then that's the that's the first thing that trainers evaluated when he came off or when he was on the field. But he also was doing that motion when he got hit. Um, but I'm a jaded Angels baseball fan, and we've had a lot of a uh, uh, elbow type sprain injuries. Shotgun, you're the baseball guy. Is this something where you might not know the extent of it until he starts getting back into throwing uh, balls a lot every single day, where they might be more extensive than they initially thought? Yeah, in football, there's there's less pressure put on the elbow than there is in baseball. Just the whipping action in baseball as you're finishing down uh, versus football, you know, your your arm angle is usually more up in the air. Mm. Uh, it, it just it creates less force on your elbow. So usually you don't see a lot of – it's very rare that you see quarterbacks have to get Tommy John or anything, you know, just thinking back to any yeah. NFL guys. It's not a very common injury. The more common is the shoulder. You know, someone like Drew Brees had the shoulder injury. Sim- I think it's probably a similar uh, type of situation. I can't remember exactly how he got hurt in San Diego, but I think it was a similar type of play. But it's usually with quarterbacks, it's more shoulder. So if it is an elbow sprain, then I think that that's something that's not as big of a concern. It, as it might be for Angels fans. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Uh, jaded, jaded Angels fans. So jaded. Let's jump back into callers. Uh, first off, I believe it's Lewis from the Bay Area. 
Hello, you're live on television. Yeah. Uh, how you doing, gentlemen? My question is, Ryan. Uh, I mean, no, I have a question about uh, slogans, but Ryan, I'm surprised that you're still saying the uh, USC potentially be have a season. Everybody come together after the Harvard. Hey, Lewis, you're cutting out. I'm sorry. Maybe call back. We can't. Uh, we can't really hear what you're saying. Sorry. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get back to you. Uh, next up in the call queue is Parastyle Podcast Fame Hall of Fame caller uh, Curtis from Marina Valley. Curtis, what's up, buddy? Hey, you guys. Great show. Thank you. Uh, tough, <laughs> tough loss to Iowa. I love the way the offense looked while Lomas was in. We only punted once, and that was supposed to be a top-notch defense. So hopefully we can continue next year. I want to talk defensive coordinator. We're going to have to hire one. What do you guys think on who's out there to be hired? And I'd like to nominate the coach, Harvey Hyde. He's very experienced. He was a head coach. He's really tough. And he would probably convince Clay to hit at practice to the ground in full pads. What do you guys think? Curtis, thanks for the call, buddy. Yeah, it's, uh, I, you know, Coach Harvey Hyde's got a lot of media obligations. That might be tough. He, his name comes up, though, for a different opening. But I would love, you know, I like what you're saying, Curtis, about someone that brings a sense of toughness. And I think it was... Uh, Matt Rule, I was watching a video of him from September. He's the head coach at Baylor. He was speaking to a whole bunch of head coaches, and he said the most important thing to him is toughness. And he talked about it's not just physical toughness, it's mental toughness, and you want to get these guys prepared. And I just don't look at this football team and say, you don't, toughness is not the first thing you say coming out of it. And I think that's what you'd want to get. So if you can get a defensive coordinator, that's just a badass. That's just tough, and will go out there, be a great recruiter, get on, you know, and just be really, you know, into the kids and 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 bring a sense of toughness, mental toughness, and physical toughness. I think you'd be be great if you'd be you know better off. So I, I like the way you're thinking, Curtis. So you know, I'm not sure who's gonna who that's gonna be, but uh, I think Clayton would really help himself if he could get somebody like that. So basically, you want a defense coordinator that's willing to headbutt his players while they have helmets on. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who did that? That was uh, I don't remember. That's, I think that's happened. Like at Ed Orgeron, someone is going to take your shirt off, but you know, something like that. You know, <laughs> did Van Gorder do that? Uh, he might have. Yeah, I think it, when he was at Georgia, maybe I don't know. Or Will Muschamp, that, you know, someone who's just kind of you look on the sideline, you go, that guy might be crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what you want. I think, you, and and this <laughs> team it needs an enforcer as well. And that's yeah. one of the other things is that who's the enforcer on the staff? Clay is a nice guy. He'll yell at guys sometimes, but it's. You know, he's he's a his personality is different. You need that. You need your sheriff like sitting next to you that like, I don't want to be late. I don't want to. Oh, oh crap! I don't want to. If that guy sees me, you know, loaf on a rep or whatever, anything. Uh, my pencil's not sharpened enough. I mean, that's you want one of those guys that I'm always thinking about. What the hell am I doing while that guy's around? And I, you need someone like that. So Curtis, maybe we'll add that into his uh, resume list for you know. Yeah. As you go to the monster.com or LinkedIn or wherever the hell Indeed. you find a guy. Indeed yeah. now. Yeah. Is monster.com still a thing or is that gone? I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. It was an old one. Yeah. I've I'm got just... three jobs. I've been looking very recently. <laughs> I'm just sad that Curtis didn't end with Curtis from Arena Valley. Yeah. It's always such a dramatic ending. He left like five voicemails today. <laughs> Curtis, come yeah. on. Uh, let's go to our last caller in the queue. I believe it is Alex. Hello. You're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, how you guys doing? Great show. Thank, Thank you. you. 
Yeah, I'm Alex Manahan. And just my question is, uh, do you guys think any uh, fallout from the disastrous season could be uh, kids heading for the portal? Thank you. Good night. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, we kind of mentioned that a little bit. I think that's certainly on the table. One thing, having Clay Helton be like sort of on the hot seat, it, it sort of stopped any kind of portal talk because there was a lot of portal talk like after the season and stuff, guys were entering the portal. And for USC, that really wasn't the case. Then now, and, and you're getting some transition as far as coaches go. So I think there's some players that will probably be waiting. I mean, for most defensive players, maybe if you're a huge Clancy Pendergast fan, now you're going to leave or – you know, oh, is he going to bring in someone that's better for me? And you kind of wait around. So I, I think there's the potential for that happening. Uh, but the the whole like waiting 11 days after the season to to bring him back or or fire him from Mike Bone, I think that sort of delayed what guys' decisions were going to be made for the transfer portal. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a rush. I think they can wait to see what the hires are. You want to get out uh, before uh, the beginning or before the last whatever the last date is for spring classes if possible. Yeah. If you're going to transfer at this time, you want to be able to get in spring enrollee and potentially practice with your, your new program if possible. And you might see guys enter and come back. You know, Matt Fink did that. Velas Jones did that. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think USC hasn't seen any kind of action there yet. I'm guessing there's going to be some action there. There'll be a couple players for sure. Yeah. It, it happens it almost every season. Yeah. Um, and I think when you get a defense coordinator, you see what kind of defense they're going to run. You might see some front guys. You know, if they run a three-three-five, or if they run a, you know, a five-two, could change who decides to. You know, do they want to use stand-up outside linebackers, yeah. or do they want to use true defensive ends? Those type things could determine guys. You know, if they're looking at it and going, okay, I'm going to graduate this year. I got my degree. I might as well go somewhere else where I think I can get playing time. That's what you saw from some of the guys who left previously. You know, the, the Josh and Warner Bebe's having a lot of success. He looked at this and said, there's a lot of receivers still coming back. Even though there's an offense throws to, to wide receivers, I'm going to go somewhere where I can be the number one guy versus trying to get on the field and it never happened previously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or Olawale Batiku, who just seemed to be a tweener or whatever at USC. And then he leads the nation in sacks for a while when he was at Illinois. He also had double hip surgery, so. That's why he did. played last year, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but thanks for the call. I have also been informed that Irk Russell used to headbutt people. He was the oh. old Georgia defensive coordinator. Okay. His head was always bloody before games. <laughs> so, fun fact for you guys. Uh, we have a question from uh, Leonard on Facebook who said, will Bone uh, have a hand in picking the next defensive coordinator? Interesting. Uh, we, I mean, we don't know as much about Mike Bone yet. We do think he was involved in getting that move. And, I, you know, I, I think it behooves him to get a bigger name. So I think he will be somewhat involved trying to get that. It would be better for him to show, hey, you know, I told you you're going to keep Clay Helton. Well, we brought in this guy who's amazing. And so here, you know, here's something he can sell. Uh, he needs to he needs to build things up. He, you know, you had that bad decision that ever was very unpopular now he needs to kind of start building things back up. So if he can be involved, if, you know, trying to get someone great in there and that will help his case, I, I think he would be at least, you know, he's definitely a very interested party. Uh, I don't know how hands-on he's going to be, but I think he's going to be somewhat involved. He was talking a lot with Willie McGinnis after the game. You yes. know, on the sideline, those two were basically joined at the hip. And then they, when they went to the locker room, when they were coming out of the locker room, McGinnis was still standing there with him and walked with him, I think, to the press conference. I don't know if McGinnis went in the press conference. I know Bone was in the back. But he was basically with him. So that's talking to the right type of person. 
who would know who is a good coordinator or yeah. who, who knows what their, their stuff. That's the type of person you want to talk to. Um, so I, I think that reaching out and what, you know, what connections does he have from his previous stops, you know, those type of things could play into it. And just what is his acumen for making that type of hire? Does he trust himself or, you know, does he know the right people to, uh, you know, ask the right questions to? Then, yes, you get involved. If not, you kind of step away and, and let the other people that, yeah. that do know make the make the decision. And do not hire Willie McGinnis to be the defensive coordinator. No, I'm not saying that. Right. But do not do that. You know why? Because he's never been a defensive coordinator before. Like, no, don't do that. Don't do those things. When it comes, Don't do those things. <laughs> when it comes to evaluating, I know Clay Helton has said that he's going to sit down and evaluate everything in this program. Obviously, he's already made some moves. <laughs> but when it comes to things that Clay Helton has said, uh, he said that the, the team would get better towards the end of the season. Do you trust his word and, and his evaluation at this point, given what we've seen in, in, his, in his tenure as a whole? No, not at all. Uh, you, like, where do you see this team in November? And they lose every game in November. Like, no, we've, the, he's saying he's trying to appease you know, and, and say the right things. No, I don't. To say that we're going to sit back and evaluate, it was a lie. I mean, it's a necessary lie. I'm not blaming him for lying about it, but that's, he knew what was going to happen. He knew yeah. he was firing those guys. He wasn't going to, you know, sit back and evaluate. You know, it should have something that, it's it should have happened before the bowl game. So, no, I don't, I don't, I'm not buying those kind of things. I think you have to realize what he's, what he's going to be saying and don't say, oh, they take it literally like, oh, they're, so they're going to sit back and evaluate the staff. And somehow they, in 12 hours, they evaluated that these guys needed to be fired, like the people that are really close to them. So, no, that, I don't buy that. Uh, Ryan, is there any Periscope love? Um, I will keep asking questions. But... We have uh, – so a couple of people have mentioned that Mauricio uh, – Urban Myers, the Lakers game tonight. So people were talking about that. Um, he is – a man in Los Angeles yeah, that can go saying, wherever he wants. <laughs> right. He was also uh, at the Ohio State game last night on the sideline. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was there. Jonathan wants to know why you wearing the uh, – A lot of people do. Yeah, the uh, uh, Oklahoma cap. Steven on YouTube wants to know if Keaton suffered a head injury when he hit his head. He's had some tough uh, hits on the ground where he, like, gets a little bit of whiplash. I, don't, I think it was more – he was, like, rubbing his neck and things. I think that was more of a whiplash concern there because he looked pretty – you know, it didn't look like he was foggy or anything, kind of the symptoms that you might see normally with a concussion. Yeah. Um, and so he came back in, finished all, or he finished the drive, and then, you know, he's on the sideline. I, I looked, at, observed him on the sideline, didn't see anything that might kind of stand out in that regard. But it should be noted, and this is going to be a concern. This is a question that I'm going to eventually ask for Harrell and Helton as well, is how concerned are you that you've had five quarterbacks get knocked out to, from games this season? Slovis got knocked out of a game four times this year. Yep. Now he came back in Arizona State. Uh, or I think he came back in briefly for yes. uh, UCLA as well. But, you know, he gets knocked out of the, the Utah game. He gets knocked out of this game. JT Daniels obviously getting injured. Is this? Do you want to put the blame on the quarterbacks for not getting rid of the ball quick enough? Do you want to put the blame on the offensive line? Or is it the offense as a whole? Where does that blame lie? And how big a concern is that with – not getting an extra quarterback in this recruiting class so far, yeah. you know, and those type things, you know, do you need to make some adjustments? Again, if you run the ball a little bit more, they can't tee off on the quarterbacks. I know a lot of people were clamoring about that uh, uh, last night. Yeah, the run-pass ratio was not good in this game. And I think they saw that at the beginning uh, at halftime and realized, whoa, this number is much different than maybe we expected. But they were moving the ball the entire time in the first half, and part of that was they had a two-minute drill. But they ran the ball a little bit more initially. I think they should have run the ball more yeah. with Fink when he first got in there to try to help him out a little bit. 
So, I mean, they had guys get knocked out of games last year, too, because you had JT Daniels go out for a game and then Fink went out in the same game, right? Like well, he, he got hurt in the same game. He stayed in the rest of the. He, but then he couldn't, play, he couldn't play the next week, yeah. so he was knocked out, basically. Yeah. Um, we or Writing Devil, this was something uh, to talk about. He said, I came late. How many fans in the stands uh, in, at San Diego? So It was you, pretty 50 50. Yeah, he felt like there I was, was a, a good a, amount of USC people. It was people. a strong grouping. Yeah. Um, Probably not a happy group at the end of the game, but nope. a strong group. And uh, we had uh, Jonathan and uh, oh Rick. I mean, uh, no, I'm sorry, Jonathan and then Mondo want us to interview uh, Mike Bone and uh, and Clay Helton. They want us to, both one of the grill and rip uh, respectively. Uh, we'll try. I've, I've you know met with Mike Bone. I've talked with him. I, I don't think he's super happy with the the way we've uh, you know been critical of the decisions that were being made in the athletic department but we're gonna we're not gonna sugarcoat we're gonna tell you what we think so we'll try to get him on he's been very open to do media at other places he's been so he could very well be sitting here at some point but we will try to do that I think once things try to, to settle down so um, that's a good idea we definitely would like to get Mike bone in here on Tuttle vision but we will be respectful I think grill and ripping is a little yes intense. no we're not <laughs> we're, we want to ask tough questions but you're you know we want to be fair yeah we're not <laughs> Um, Brian on Facebook has diligently asked this question uh, the whole show, so apologies, Brian, for just getting to you now. But he wants to know the status of USC's tight ends. Um, he says that they're not getting involved as much as Clay Helton has been promising over the years. And now you have Je John Baxter, the tight ends coach, gone. What does the future of that position look like? It's a great question. I, it depends on who you get to come in to the position and also the tight ends coach, coach spot as well. You know, Eric Cromanhook is not Tony Gonzalez. But he's a good blocker normally, so that's what he was used for. Would you rather have Eric Cromanhook split out and going out for a pass route, or would you have, rather have Drake London? You're going to say Drake London. So that's why they didn't use that that position as much, especially in the second half of the season when you had the running back injuries, you stopped running as much. Um, but before that, and they used the, they they used Cromanhook a lot last night as well uh, to run the ball and you know to use as an extra blocker. That's not Josh Follow's specialty, which is why. Now, if you get a guy who you think is a good hybrid that can do both and does both really well, then I think you use that position more and more. Uh, I think it just comes down to personnel a little bit there as well. I think when they wanted to run the ball, they wanted to be, you know, with the H back in the backfield, they were using Eric Cromanhook. But then later in the season when they're like, we're going to throw the ball a bunch more anyways, let's put Drake London out there. And he developed as the season progressed in, as well, which is why I think his numbers also took off. You know, the combination of those two things together. So I think it go comes down to what you're trying to do with that final spot on the field. Yeah. You know, you're probably going to have three receivers out there most of the time. Quarterback, line, running back. What are you going to do with that last guy? Yeah. My guess is what's going to happen is USC brings in a second receiver coach and you have an inside receiver coach and an outside receiver coach. That's typically what you have in these kind of offenses. So the fact that USC didn't do that to start was really kind of strange. So instead of having a tight ends coach, I think you could have inside receivers where the tight ends would be, like the Josh Follows would be going there, and then the outside receivers. And a guy like Eric Cromanhoek might be doing a lot of work with the with Mike Jenks and the running backs, where he's kind of more of an H-back kind of guy. So that's my guess of how that's going to play out, but we'll see uh, what Clay Helton decides to do. The way they use the tight end right now, Jack Erie would be a really good fit. You know, he play, he lines up and plays fullback some for Murrieta Valley. Yeah. The former USC commit the son of USC royalty, Ron Yeri, you know, Hall of Famer, number one overall pick previously. So if they can get him back in the fold and he's still considering USC, 
You know, he's gonna he's gonna sign in February. Think of him back in the fold. I think he fits really well into what they're doing with it, and I think he's a guy that they would want to split out a little bit more. You know, they would still leave in the block, and they still got to work some work to do with a block as a blocker. But he's a guy that I think would be a really good fit. That's the type of personnel that I think would fit really well at that spot in this offense. Yeah, he decommitted. Didn't like what he saw from what they're doing. I think they'll make some changes to try to be more appealing, um, and it might be he worked with the inside receivers coach. Uh, we're almost at the half an hour mark, so I'm going to go into ultra-rapid fire mode. Uh, yeah. But before we do, Shotgun, you mentioned Drake London. We had a question from someone who I did not remember their name. When does he get on the basketball court? I would guess he's probably on the bench right now with the team. I don't know that he's dressed right now. I mean, they're up, I think, by about nine points right now. Chris Trevino is covering for me over oh, there. Yeah. Shouts to Trevino. So we will have a story later on that. But uh, he's been sitting on the bench with the team. He's practiced. He practiced a little bit over the bowl period session. You know, he's getting some shots up and stuff with the team. So I would expect him. You know, they start conference play this week. I think you'll see him on the bench. How much he, how quickly he gets in the rotation or anything, that's going to be difficult to say. But I think you'll see him dressed up. If he's not tonight, then I think you would see him dressed up later this week when they play their first conference game. Eden on YouTube said, once again, we got completely dominated in the trenches. What's with that? I guess going forward, I mean, we thought that USC's defensive line interiorly would be their strength this season. It didn't really turn out that way in the second half. What have you thought about the line play these last couple of years? It's not good. Yeah, it, it needed to be better. I, I think the beginning of the season, they really did a good job stopping the run between the tackles. And then, you know, things kind of, but it was just hard because the, the contain wasn't there. And so there, there's definitely been issues. I mean, having, you know, a quarterback get blown out of game five different times, that's not that's not ideal. I mean, some of that has to be at least on the offensive line. So um, I, I think just the toughness to see Iowa line up and go quarterback sneak for three straight plays. And one of them, what was it, eight or 12 yards or something they got on eight the first yards. time, eight yards, and then do it two more. And then just run it in for the – I thought they would do one more sneak or they just ran it in for the last one. That's got to be demoralizing. You can't let stuff like that happen. So, uh, yeah, that line play needs to get better. Mm -hmm. Good play call because USC was really anticipating that four straight. Right. Uh, um, you get smacked in the day. mouth like three times. You're like going to – you pay attention and then you get punched in the gut. Well, they you sent know? two <laughs> linebackers up the middle and they ran right where Pellier probably should have been. He almost got through there, but he kind of got knocked over a little yeah. bit. So. Um, I think that they, the defensive line, for one, I thought was doing much, so much better early in the season. And I think they got worn out. You know, and that's, you got to build that depth and you actually have to rotate. We'll see if a new defense coordinator comes in, if they rotate more. This, this conference is not great for rotating because teams want to keep a bunch of, you know, they want to keep spread packages and stuff on the field. But you got to figure out a way to make it happen. Yeah. You know, if that, you get a couple of penalties every year for getting too many men on the field. So be it. You got to rotate more guys in and stuff. Well, that's an issue that, that they dealt with this season. But uh, shotgun, rapid fire, rapid fire, faster. Jasper Smith says, uh, with Black Monday happening tomorrow, any casualties from the NFL possibly coming as in replacements on USC's staff? Freddie, Freddie Kitchens was already fired. Yeah. Uh, you're, you got the Oklahoma hat, Baker Mayfield's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, his co he gets another head coach in Cleveland. I don't. I haven't heard of anything specifically, but. I mean, yeah. it could be a possibility. I mean, you look at our hot board, and there's a couple names on there that could be out as of tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Check out the hot board. USCFootball.com. Everyone who says they want names, check out the hot board. That's where the names are. Uh, Jason on Facebook says, with Freddie Kitchens now out with the Browns, does it make it easier to get Tosh Lapoy as our new DC? 
And I don't know if that you really want him as a defensive coordinator. That seems more but of a reach. That is a guy that could be on the market. Let's just say that. Yes, he could be. And USC did try to get him previously, but that was Steve Sarkeesian tried to get him. So. Yeah. Uh, Rick on YouTube says, how many assistants need to be fired before they realize Clay Hilton just can't get it done? Is it three times at this point? Uh, you know, they fire like 10, 12 more guys over the next five years, and maybe they'll figure it out. <laughs> So. The sarcasm is strong with you. Any Periscope, Ryan, while I'm going through these? Oh. Just want to make sure we give them some love because we never go um, through. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. Nothing off the top of my head. Okay. So a lot of, uh, we've someone got... says Ryan for president, so I like that one. Thank, <laughs> thank you. Relax. It's thrill. <laughs> Ryan for president. We've gotten multiple questions. You kind of already addressed this, but Dave Aranda, is that even a possibility? I think it, it's a very far-reaching possibility, but yes, he's from Southern California. He looked into the UNLV job, according to, to Bruce Feldman. That would have been a big pay cut for him. Now, that is a title bump, but yeah. it's also – that's not a very attractive job at UNLV. They've never spent any money on head coaches. The last three head coaches there have spent five seasons exactly, and two of the previous last three have really, like, you know – burned a bunch of bridges as they were leaving, saying how bad things were around there. Now, they built a big facility and things, so there's some things there with UNLV. But I think the allure to come back to Southern California, possibly, especially if you say, you know, if you mention, if we do have to go to an interim coach, you'd probably be the guy next yeah. year. It would have to not be probably. It would be you definitely would be. And it would almost have to be promising the guy that he's going to end up being the head coach somehow. So I, that, I think that's the only way it would come. Um, something I haven't mentioned yet, uh, a development that happened today. Chris Hawkins, uh, the oh, grad assistant, that, yeah. the former USC safety, is taking a job as the new defensive backs coach at ASU. Big jump for him. Uh, we're definitely happy for him. He's a friend of the show. Uh, but Danny said, why wasn't Chris Hawkins offered a position with USC staff? I mean, it's, it, uh, he really helped out in recruiting. Uh, he's a young coach, though. Like, you got to move up. I think ASU might be reaching a little bit, but we we love Chris Hawkins. We hope he does. Joe DeForest has been coaching for 20 years. He's coaching safeties at North Carolina State. He get, Chris Hawkins gets all the defensive backs. Like, that's pretty – like as far as I know, I don't know if there's another one there. So that's great for him. I think that's one of the situations where you want to see guys get good jobs. It's great to see Chris Hawkins get a good job, you know. And, you know, are you going to kick out Greg Burns and, and replace him with Chris Hawkins? I think you would get – Clay Hilton would get crushed for doing that. So I think you, you might try to find a spot for him, but he was already a GA – if he gets promoted, that's good. We're, you're not seeing a lot of guys get promoted from this staff to go to move up somewhere. So great for Chris Hawkins. Uh, he's a he, we've always loved talking to him. Great, you know, great job. And he'll recruit the hell out of everything. He'll be fine at ASU. I think I saw today that he will be the youngest Group of Five assistant coach. Uh, so paid coach. I, I haven't confirmed that yet or done the research on it myself, but I think I saw that today. So that's a big jump for him. You know, to go from a first year grad assistant. To position coaches is, is a huge jump. Yeah, because uh, he could be a GA for three years, right? I like believe so. Yeah. So that you know, and give him you know a lot of credit for that. But this is that's kind of the model you want to have. You say, okay, you come here, you be a GA, you go somewhere else, you prove yourself, and then we'll hire you back. That's what you're supposed to do when you're the power of a conference. Now, whether it's Arizona State or you go to Miami of Ohio, go prove yourself. Let's see what you do. Now you come, we'll hire you back. And that's what you would ideally do rather than saying, we'll promote a GA to that. Arizona State's kind of taking a little bit of a risk there, but it's kind of interesting how they're developing their staff, having older yeah. former NFL guys, ton of knowledge, younger 
Uh, you know, go-getters on the recruiting trail. Prentice Gill, another That's former USC mention, graduate yeah. assistant, uh, is their receivers coach now. And then Chris Hawkins as well. So they're trying to combine those two things. And I think it's going to be great for Chris, the guys that are on that staff already, that he can learn from as well. So, you know, I think it's a great move for him. And, you know, it's it's another team. And maybe there's a little bit of this, that the reason why he gets this higher, and they also went to get Prentice Gill, is Arizona State looks out there and says, Southern California is open yeah. for recruiting. Oregon's taking yeah. advantage. We're going to take advantage. Oregon, Washington, you're seeing teams come from outside of the area. Let's go get some guys that can really go hard after that. Antonio Pierce does a great job, but let's give him a little bit more ammunition with Prentice Gill and Chris Hawkins, guys that really know the Southern California area. As far as GAs go, like you don't want your like Michael Hutchins and, and Chris Hawkins to be like a huge part of your recruiting team, but they were because you have a lot yeah. of like part-time recruiters on the staff. So another thing Clay Allen has to do when you bring in a defensive coordinator – Clancy wasn't big on the, the recruiting front. Bring in someone that's going to recruit the hell out of Southern California. Recruit, you know, just do a really good job recruiting because you relied on guys like Gavin Morris and, and Chris Hawkins to recruit where most schools don't do that. Uh, Tamat Sutz has a question for you, Ryan. He says, would you rather get an elite O-line coach with a mediocre defensive coordinator or, or vice versa? Uh, no, I got to go defensive coordinator. It's just a more important job. So I think you have to bring in the best defensive coordinator you can possibly get. Jasper Smith says, uh, Clay Helton said all year, this is such a young team. So will they still be young next season in his eyes? Every year. Oh, everybody's every young. Year it's a, yeah. I don't buy that. Like it's college. Like the, your old guys are 22. Like there's no, like everybody's young. So I think that's a horrible excuse. I hate when people say that. Um, but they, yeah. of course an old guy would say that I, I'm an old <laughs> Well, you're all old compared to everybody on the team, even Keely at this point. Like, oh, I hate that. I, I don't know. Want, I don't want to age. <laughs> it's it sucks. But no, it's like it's a young team. It's like, come on. Like they, they said, they keep saying it all the time. They were kind of young in certain aspects. They are, you're going to be young in certain aspects. I'm not every saying year. it's a valid excuse. I'm just saying they were young. Trevor Lawrence is a true sophomore. He's never lost a game. Like I mean, it's like it's just it's an excuse. It's just talk. It is an excuse. However. It would be a very bad one next year if everyone returns because you're going to have a lot of experienced guys, mm -hmm. potentially offensive lines, five guys that are all juniors, uh, redshirt juniors, yeah. seniors. You know, your receivers are all older. Your, you know, your DBs have got it. Everyone will have experience. They're barely losing anyone. Yeah. What are you going to do with it? That's the big question. This I think the thing. You, next year has to be the year that Helton does something big. Not just, you know, nine wins. No. You got to get to eleven. Wait, why does it have to be? Because there's so it been this all year. the experienced guys are back. There's no excuse for that. Even if they get injuries again, because that's going to happen, and they're going to use that as an excuse again. <laughs> no, it's it. That's it. You're done. We're cutting you off. This is it. Wow. Mom and dad are, are taking away funds if you don't go get a job. You know, wow. type of thing. You know, that, that's it. Now, I, I was very hesitant to ever say that Clay Helton was going to get fired this year. Because I know what USC is like, but next year will be it. That'll be it. Wow. I don't think you can say I mean, I'm the one I saying can tell I don't you, think you can say I that. I can tell you, you can say that. You can say it. It's going to happen. That makes me feel better, but I don't. I still don't buy it. No. Yes, I'm how right. is that your response after what we just saw happen this year? Because I know how this works. Uh, I don't know. Fool me that. once, fool me twice, fool I me didn't three get times. Fooled. The, the I didn't fifth get time is a charm or something. like. Anyway. You might have got fooled. I didn't get fooled. I try to tell you. It's USC. You never know. I said that too. And then Ryan, whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, speaking of how USC is, Julianne asked a question saying, likely an obvious question, but why is Heritage Hall so concerned with giving into a coach's request for some measure of control? Because humans that have power do not ever want to give up power. 
just a human trait. Yeah. And people in Heritage Hall that have some semblance of power don't want to give up any of that power. There's a lot of the Peter Principle stuff going on, and there's people that have positions that they know if you brought in someone that was really good, they would recognize that they are not really good <laughs> and they would be fired. So this is more about job preservation than anything, keeping power. They wouldn't like another Pete Carroll who won championships but really ran things, and they would rather let themselves run things than win championships. That's really They would like to win them. They would hope to win them, but they want to win them their way. That's the big issue going on. So that's why the people that are tweeting out, like, drain the swamp and all that kind of stuff, that's why they needed a real athletic director to come in and make a bunch of changes. And we'll see. Mike Bone might come in and still do a whole bunch of stuff. We just haven't seen it yet. Hope is not a plan. Yeah. Um, true. Uh, Kay says, uh, what are your thoughts about Slovis basically getting hurt almost every game? I know Shogun, you already addressed this, but do you think that that's a pattern uh, that we'll, we'll see continue going forward? Yeah, he's soft. No, just Ryan. like that. <laughs> he, no, he does need to bulk up, though. He that's does, yeah. Thing. You know, he, he'll need to do a bunch of neck exercises and stuff. You want to bulk up the neck. I mean, compare just the body types of him versus Nate Stanley, you know, a, a four, fourth or fifth year senior. I don't know if he was rich or not. But just completely different body types there. Oh yeah. Um, so and he's just gonna he's gonna have to get more muscular, and that's something you see with all freshmen that come in. They have to all of them have to bulk up, and he's probably put on some weight already. But he's gonna have to continue to put on so that he can absorb some of those hits. You know, you're gonna get hit as right. a quarterback, but you got to protect him better. And he'll you know, he was a true freshman that you didn't like. No one really expected him to play. I don't know if he expected himself to play. And so, yeah, this offseason, he's got to get a little bulkier. And they got to figure out a better way to uh, not get them killed. Uh, Steven says, uh, with low numbers and low star recruits, will USC's death be an issue? Is it possible that they will ever tackle again, given um, what's happening with depth and whatnot? Depth shouldn't be an issue next year unless a bunch of guys transfer out. Right. That's, as that's far as just at. numbers. Right. This recruiting class was, I mean, the only thing about this recruiting class, you're not going to have a lot of guys contribute right away the way it's built now. But, the, you know, that's it'll add depth to the offensive line. It'll add some depth to the defensive line. But, yeah, it's not really, you know, you don't look at depth as being, like, the depth hasn't been a problem. They've had a lot of bodies. They've had a lot of scholarship guys. It's just sort of been this excuse, and they're still acting like they're under sanctions and trying not to get hurt in practice, so. And they had a lot. I mean, when guys got injured this year, you still had guys step in and do admirable jobs at almost yeah. all the positions. So, yeah, depth hasn't really been an issue in that re regard. And the, guy, the injuries have mostly been in games. And you could argue, like, if you practice harder, maybe you get another injury or two, but maybe you have less injuries in the games. You know, that's one of the things. Yeah. That's a lot of things you can argue with this team. Brian says, does Clancy Pendergast being fired open up all the defensive coaches? Yes. It just depends on how much control. Uh, when you hire someone, you know, do you say – we want to bring you in, but, or do you say, we're bringing you in, do what you want. You yeah. make the hires. I think Chad Kay was doing pretty good. I think uh, Greg Burns is doing a good job. But if I'm one of those guys, even if I think I did a good job, I'm updating my resume when my boss gets fired. So, because you don't know what's going to happen. We had a question about Isaac Taylor Stewart. Shotgun, I believe you talked to him prior to the bowl game about some people were worried about his cryptic tweets. Yeah, he said he's 100% at USC. His plan is to graduate from USC and go to the NFL draft. That's that's his goals and his aspirations. Bigger question is the injury he sustained. Um, he basically, he got chop blocked, or not chop blocked, he got cut blocked uh, and probably should have been a penalty. They called a penalty on the exact same thing the very next play because it was outside of the tackle box, but his legs stuck in the ground and his knee went backwards. 
So he immediately threw off his helmet and was in pain. Um, so he went to the x-ray machine and everything. His family was there with him after the game, but did not look like a very good injury to sustain. Hopefully it's a sprain and not anything torn, but I would be concerned that he may be lost for next season now. Wow. Really? That's how that's. Well, if you tear your ACL, it's usually a nine month period now. Yeah. I just so, didn't know how serious it was. You know, nine months from now. Does he come back? He could potentially be back next year. But, you know, I think it, it could have been a serious knee injury. We haven't heard any updates or anything, so I don't want to say that anything has happened. However, the way he was walking everything, it looked like it was a, a serious – there's serious concern there, definitely. Wow. Um, Should we uh, – Wrap it up, Brian? I think so. Shotgun has a special friend that uh, in the in the We have studio. an audience today in, in the studio. Yes. Alrighty. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? When will we be back next, boss man? Good question. What's next week? Uh, do we want to? We probably do. New Year's. Happy New Year's, to everyone. Happy New Year's. Yeah, New Year. no I would years. think just we'll do Sunday, uh, unless there's a reason to do Thursday. Maybe some we get some newsy stuff happening, but we'll probably we we we're getting back onto the one one day a week schedule. Um, yeah. So we'll have to decide Thursday or Sundays. Let us know if you guys have a preference, if you'd rather do Thursday nights or Sunday nights. Um, and, uh, yeah. Sounds we'll good. We'll figure it out. Alrighty, Shotgun, any thoughts? You always have thoughts. Yeah, I got plenty, but we'll <laughs> save it for the next show. Okay. Yeah, it was Sounds a good show. Good. We had a lot of people live. Thank you guys for tuning in and calling in. And Yeah. Um, we missed our... two callers. I'm sorry about that. Uh, they hung up when you said we're done. So sorry about that, guys. Oh, sorry. Call in next time. You'll get priority. How about that? Um, but that's going to wrap it up. Uh, lots of news going on, so make sure you stay tuned to USCFootball.com. Like we mentioned multiple times, we have a defensive coordinator hot board, so uh, who we think could get the job. Uh, so make sure you get stay tuned to that. But that's going to wrap it up. That's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see you all next Sunday, and Happy New Year. Bye. Happy New Year. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.